Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. The Houndsman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. Hey guys, The Journey on Houndsman XP has teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams. And I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand casts, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. The Journey enjoyed being in New York so much, we decided that we're going back to the scat- Catskills. Um, we're going to be with a good friend, uh, Jeremy DeCesar, and he and I started hunting together through Bob, um, family affiliation there, and he's been hunting with us for several years, and I mean, it's just been a pleasure to uh, meet him and spend time with him. Um, he's got a lot of things going on. He's been able to hunt all over the country, um, even in different continents with dogs, which is definitely something that we've talked about. But we are going to talk about a hobby, passion, that Jeremy has. And we're going to dive in since deer season's right around the corner. You bow hunters out there and muzzleload hunters. Um, Jeremy's got a Bavarian hound, a lot like what we use in some of our tracking here um, in the in the law enforcement side of it. But he's got a Bavarian hound that he uses to um, basically recover animals. Um, the, the termination or technical phrase for it is deer recovery. 
but I think we're just going to bring it down to blood tracking because that's how everybody sees it. That's what we think we are actually tracking, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to break it down. Jeremy, how is everything in the great state today? Hey, Heath. Everything's good. It's a hot one. Luckily, I'm looking at a little bit of rain, hopefully cool things down. Unfortunately, we didn't get to run bear hounds today just because of the humidity and heat, but um, hopefully the forecast is looking good for the next weekend. So. Should be cool. Well, I can't, I can't believe you ain't up to lake sunbathing up there like you do when, when we're up there hunting. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, man. I missed a hell of a weekend last weekend. So <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> well, I know some the things we do, right? Yeah. Well, it was a pl- it was a pleasure seeing you though when I got to see you this weekend, past weekend. But yeah, you know, sometimes you gotta take care of some family stuff, mix it in. But well, we were definitely giving you a hard time on that mountain. Yeah. Saturday morning, <laughs> trust me. Yeah. If your ears weren't burning, then you was too far away. That's all I can say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Jeremy, we're gonna break down today and talk about. Um, your Hanno Ham. We're gonna talk a little bit about the hounds that that you've been a part of and and been with, and you know some stuff that you've seen other places. But just tell tell everybody a little bit about yourself, um, how you got into doing what you're doing. About you know, give the back. Just give us your background. Let, let the listeners know who you are. Yep. So um, I'm 28 years old and basically been hunting my whole life. Um, you guys listened to my uncle Bob last week on the, on the journey. And basically he's my mentor and really my, the guy that made dogs a part of my life. Um, so at a very young age, he had a good, a pack of dogs, like part of Heath's stuff. And I got to go a little bit when I was young and just really enjoyed it. But at the time, he was also very into the Chesapeake Bay Retrievers. Mm-hmm. So kind of the start of my like dog um, experiences and work, you know, and training itself and actually working dogs was with the, with the retrievers. And unfortunately, uh, right at the beginning of 2019, I lost my last Chesapeake and things were just kind of the ducks around here just weren't really they're not like they were back in the day and it's a lot of work to have a retriever not to really have a whole lot of ducks in front of them so i was actually in a trip to europe the past two seasons that year and i got to run some really cool dogs and i ran some dots hounds wired hound dots hounds I got to run with the barbarians over there, all for uh, deer, basically red stags, followed deer, wild boars. And I just fell in love with the barbarian mountain hound when I was there. The first one I saw was in Portugal, and he had wound dressing all over his face, all beat up. I'm like, what is this dog? And he only stood, you know, they only stand up to your knees. So I'm like, what the hell is this dog doing? So my guide was actually French, but he spoke pretty good English. So I go, what is, who is, what is this? He goes, oh, Barbarian Mountain Hound. Good dog. He 
he got in a fight with uh, Red Stag, which I don't know if people know, but they're pretty equivalent to an elf. Mm-hmm. And he said he got in right in a toss with them, and I was like, holy crap, these dogs are badass. So um, I got kind of the itch for one, basically, and I knew that I could utilize him. The more I did some research, I knew I could utilize him in the hunting season and deer season, which there's plenty of deer here in upstate New York. And believe it or not, Uncle Bob had a connection with a man named Martin, who I became friends with and actually knew him in the past, just didn't know he his connection with the dog. And we started talking, and lo and behold, here's my now two-year-old dog, Hubertus, is his full name, which is the patron saint of hunters. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's been just a pleasure working with that dog. And I can, uh, I guess I can owe it all up to a little bit of bear hounds and Uncle Bob. <laughs> right. You so, know, people uh, don't realize, I mean, B- Bob is a wealth of knowledge. He's very yeah. humble. He's very honest about what his dogs are doing. Um, yeah. And he's very quiet. If you don't know him, you're probably not going to gain a lot of that knowledge because he, listen, he listens more than he talks. Um, yeah. But it's always, you know, somebody around us has been one of those people that have kind of mentored us or, you know, nudged us, encouraged us in certain directions. Um like I said, I didn't really realize that, you know, until we were talking, you know, he and I had talked about it, that, you know, we started back in the early or the late 90s, um, along with several other people from New York, um, Rodney Galusha, and you got Ben Gadway and, you know, Anthony O'Neill. Anthony was kind of my first person that I ran into in New York. And, you know, those guys are still some of my best friends. I mean, you know how you get relationships and they kind of it kind of ebbs and flows. I mean, a, a certain group comes into your life at certain points in time and you know, those guys have been consistent for over the last 20, you know, 20 20 plus years um with me. And you know, I, I'll tell a quick story. First time I ever went to New York, uh, of course that was in the early eh, mid 90s. 96, 97, it could have been 98. I had Frosty. Yeah, I don't know. It was in it was in that time period. Now, I had done a lot of traveling in inside the United States. I man, I was running the Perina circuit and I was coon hunting in a different state and a different town pretty much every other weekend or every weekend and you know, I was taking a week off to go to plot days and um but all those communities were pretty rural, rural communities that we were hunting in. So when I got the opportunity to go to New York, I'm like, New York's got bear? That was my first thing. Like, what? <laughs> and then, so I was like, oh, okay. It's not just concrete. It, well. Tree them in a skyscraper? <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's exactly what was going through my head is like, where are bears in New York? And I guess in my little countryfied hometown, 1,700 people mind that I'm like, Okay, so I got the invite. Um, I went up with um, Bill Wickham and went to, uh, that's where I met Rodney Galusha. And I went up and, and hunted in the Anirondacks. Uh, 
And on my trip up there, after I got out of Pennsylvania and started into the upstate New York, I mean, it was dairy farms and farms and mountains. And I'm like, wow, I haven't even seen anything that looks like a city. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my first venture to New York. And I was overwhelmingly surprised at the country and how much it was like at home as far as like the people and, you know, like I said, it was country that was dairy farm. I mean, just the same things that I had been raised around. And, um, yeah, so that was, that was my first, uh, trip up there. And I've pretty much been going almost every year. There's been a year here and there that I've missed or whatever, ever since that, the the mid nineties, um, I've been going because of the relationships that I have with, with those guys. Um, and now Jeremy, I mean, you're into that relation, you know, um, you're, you're a part of that now too. So yeah, I enjoy it. And like I said, um, the people that listen to, uh, the podcast with Bob Melville, Bob is a wealth of knowledge. Um, and I've said it and I'll keep saying it. It's so good to be able to have people like that to bounce ideas off of, to bounce problems and troubleshooting off of, and sometimes just talk, sit down and talk through problems with. And, you know, Bob is one of them people that that we have I have those conversations with. So Oh hundred. Yep. So And he's you know, I've in one of the podcasts, I don't remember which one exactly, but one of the guys was on and you know, if you as a younger guy in the game, you know, you you just show somebody like Uncle Bob or even you the effort, man, like once you're under their wing it, the sky's the limit, you know, they, I, you don't want to take, you know, don't take advantage of that, you know, and just keep working hard and be, you know, if that dog's on the top of the mountain or there's trouble or he's out of town, not in baiting or whatever, just step up to the plate as the younger guy. And there is some great guys in our community that will help you out and make you a lot better person and a lot better hunter in the woods. And, you know, that's just what's great about it all. Yeah. I have an Uncle Bob in my my life. Yeah. So. so go back to the, so when he, when you first started hunting with him, do you remember what dogs he was hunting? Yeah, I believe he had Pete and Abby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he had some other stuff. I believe he, at the time, he had some of your stuff. Uh, Frank from me, um, well, yep. Maine mm-hmm. used to be there a lot. Yep. With his plot dog. Um you know, and then, you know, I was like that right in co- or high school and I did go quite a bit and I under you know, I enjoyed it. Um but when he start run stopped running the bears, we kinda got out of the hounds a little bit altogether and we were that's when like the Chesapeakes were the thing. And yeah. that's when he really put the hammer down so this these past few seasons was where uncle bob's got back into the house it, it's been a lot of fun so. well yeah so he sent so abby was out of my ring dog um she was a daughter of ring and then pete um was out of the son of sacket so he was a sacket bred dog so when bob quit well basically his work and flying all over the country to do the job yep. it, you know he had to he had to make a decision, so I ended up with both of those dogs. Um, and of course, they you know they both died with me. 
um, passed away. And they, I mean, they were, they were a little bit older when I got them. I, I can't remember if Abby was nine, eight or nine, ten. Pete, um, Pete wasn't so old. He was seven, six or seven. But, um, yeah, so those were some, some of the original dogs. And that's why I ended up back with them is because of the, his job. And then, yep. you know, through the years of talking, you know, we'd started, you know, we had been talking about it. And he said, he said, Heath, as soon as I can get to where I can retire or I can semi-retire, I'm getting my hounds back. <laughs> and I was like, yep. yeah, I mean, so, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's, so that takes, you know, that tells us, you know, you know, you got into hounds, you've been hunting, you know, for 10 years plus um, with them and the, the Bavarian hound. So we have, and I know they've heard me say it on here before, we have a Hanoverian hound. We call him a Hanno. And yep. it looks like, I call it, and I say it, it's a wiener dog on steroids. <clears throat> yeah. But, but, but for you plot guys, they look, they have, they have a lot of colors and resemblance of a plot, except they're shorter and longer. They have that hot dog style body, I think. Um, of the wiener dog and that's why i keep I, I aggravate robbie he's our handler for hours and um yeah i aggravate him to death about it but uh he calls his jekyll and we, we you know okay. you and i had talked about it and so tell us how you yeah, got yeah. the dog you know he come from did he come from from slovakia yep so, okay so um and martin he Martin is a dual citizen with in Slovakia. So he's actually imported some stuff here in the past for people. And, uh, you know, I just, he was a gun customer of ours. So he came into the, our store and never really talked about dogs, but he ended up helping me get the whole, um, he was actually over there, checked out some shows for me. And ended up picking a dog that he really thought was going to be a, uh, you know, someone that was going to be a special dog. Um, so there was a little bit of that process of picking out a puppy and, and like, you know, I'm just kind of on the phone. I don't speak the language. There was, he's kind of like, uh, we're, we're not really sure if this is the breeding we really want to send to you. There was almost like a aura of like, they wanted to prove a point that, there's going to be a good dog that comes from Slovakia. Like I would be like, Martin, are they getting ready to ship or have you guys made a decision on something? He's like, Oh, wait, wait a little bit. There's, there's word that there's another good breed, you know, dog going to be available. So it was kind of a little bit of a process. Eventually, uh, kind of the stars aligned and they ended up getting the dog and, he came to JFK, which is about a two-hour drive for me down in the city, and I'm in, uh, I'm at the import office, and here's my little puppy, and kind of hit the ground running. It was, I got him right in September, and it, there was the September season, and I actually one of my close buddies shot a bear right, right that second week. I'm like, well, let's see what his reaction is to a bear. It was, he was a you know, five week old puppy or no, well, older than that. He was a, he was a 12 week old puppy at that point. And, uh, he was a little timid. 
and he had, like you said, he is. They do almost have like a little bit of that wiener dog look, but he kind of showed a little bit of interest, started tugging on the ear, and I was like, well, that's a start for something, you know. Mm-hmm. Just to see that interest in the puppy and like that, that he wasn't too shy of it. Just like when you're picking out a bear hound and you're looking at them like when they're a puppy, like you see those certain traits in them that are like. That might be, you know, it's a crapshoot, really, but to a certain extent. But hey, there's a good, that's a, there's the chance of a really good puppy there. Yeah. And in Europe, there there is a very stringent, um, you know, uh, testing and stuff that they mm-hmm. do for Go through the process. Yep. And uh, a lot of people in America are kind of unaware of that of. You know, the Barbarian Mountain Hound Club in Europe, they have legit, like, wardens, they call them. That's what it translates to. And the the bitch isn't allowed to have more than six puppies. And they're only allowed to breed twice twice in their lifetime. And every dog has to test before it, uh, you know, in the field test before it can breed and be a proven winner. And all. it's a... It's a pretty strict process there. It's like a lot of your guys' police dogs are probably mm-hmm. from Europe. Yep. So it was a very it was a very cool thing that I kind of just from seeing that first barbarian in Portugal and not really knowing what that dog was a hundred percent yet to like kind of getting thrown in the ring of like all this information on how like serious these guys are about these dogs. I was like. Not to say that, like, every single one of them is going to be a Ferrari, but they put a lot of effort into their breeding program. Mm-hmm. And and when that thought came, he definitely proved himself to me a little bit. Not And not to boast about my – I don't mean to, but he has shown a lot of promise for a very young dog. So I'm very excited to see how he's going to continue to grow. It's kind of like what Bart said in, in his with with the breeding program. You know, when Bart was younger, he said, we didn't really train our dogs. We just took them and they did it. And yep. you're, you have the same same outcome from yours. And you had mentioned something there earlier that I see in those that bloodline. And I'm not going to say your, your Bavarian is the same as our Hanno, but they are a little bit timid. I don't I don't mean that as far as like, um, they have a, a bit of cautiousness about them. Ours, yeah. ours is like, <clears throat> how do you say it? There are certain things in the environment that it'll take him a minute or two to work through where the shepherds or the duchies, um, or even the labs will just push right through it. He's, he's a little bit more cautious. Um, but again, his trailing style is slow and methodical. So he's not like he's not pulling you down if you have to step over a log like our our pointier dogs. Um yep. so that I mean when you said that I'm like, ah, okay. So that is now do you know a little bit about the breeding program that he come from or any of the tests that they, they do to qualify these dogs? Yeah, so they do go through like um the European 
I'm actually going to try to pull up the uh, his pedigree here for you, just to kind of look at the all the information from it. So he is part of the uh, Slovakian, I can't even pronounce it, but for short, the uh, SKJ. So and his papers, all the dogs, um, when you look at his sheet, they're all, they all get tested and they're all like, not like field, I guess almost like a field trial. Mm-hmm. Like for the, So um, his dad is two times CAC, which is like their, uh, part of their aptitude and like their, all that kind of testing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know a hundred percent. I'm going to be hopefully going over there and maybe we can revisit it. Unfortunately, with the war in Ukraine, we're kind of like pushing it off a little bit. But mm-hmm. I'm, this time of the year, right before the season, their season for the rut for uh, Red Stags in September, um, they have a lot of dog shows and they have a lot of those field trial kind of tests. And I, I'm really itching to go see it in real real life. But um, from what I understand, it's uh, a lot of it is a 20 for breeding stuff i believe it's a 24 hour old track with um some of them do like i believe the requirement is about eight ounces of blood is really what they go off of and a lot of the guys use deer hooves on uh shoes mm-hmm. deer shoes i don't know if you've ever seen those that set up but it's a european mm-hmm. style and uh basically they walk through the woods with a hoof attached to the heel and that's that's how the track is laid um so once they have that um those credentials the commission of you know their their clubs and stuff will will approve a breeding so then um it kind of gets from my understanding gets posted that hey um I can't even pronounce a lot of these dogs' names, but uh, the female, his mom is named Betty. Betty is able to breed for 2020. So they'll find a sire that has equal the the credentials and um, they make it happen, I guess. So it's kind of a, it's cool to hear the process. I, I'm waiting to, I'm, it's, you know, itching to see the see it all um but to speak from it from my little bit of through translations and stuff that's kind of the gist um yeah our um, dogs that if not it's it's twofold depending on where we get dogs from most of them are ph title they have to have a ph1 title um yeah and of course they bring them over and then, of course, we have kennels that we buy the the young dogs from, the six and eight month old dogs from. But they're, those dogs aren't vetted, and um, so yeah, I, I completely understand the process. And you know, I really I wish think... that we would do more of that here um, to encourage the betterment of the breeds that we have. Yeah, I actually, um, you know, me and Uncle Bob were kind of talking about it. Uh, and because I was mentioning that, you know, we mentioned coming on the show 
and there could be a lot of a lot different type of hound dogs around if we had the European mentality and I think not to touch on like some you know the Europeans are no they don't take it a joke you know they're more worried about the the bead than I'll call those two dogs and just you know it is what it is you know in America we're a little softer I believe which is kind of her downfall in the dog world a little bit because well Joe Schmo breeded to yeah. Betty Bop and now we have two crappy dogs in the blood line and you know that one dog might be okay and he might tree a coon or tree a bear and be alright dog but when he breeds again and it's two pretty ugly trash or ugly bloodlines it doesn't really uh, do anything for the next guy that ends up with one. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. And you, and you know that just as much, you know. Yeah. So do, know, in that pedigree, playing. can you tell if there's anything that's kin in that pedigree? I do know that they do want like that. Um, okay, if they line breed normally, and I won't speak for that that particular line because I don't know, but normally. Yeah. There'll be a dog in the first generation and the third generation. They have to skip. So is that looking yep. like it's par for course uh, there? I'm trying to see real quick if I see a, uh, the name, same name. I know they usually do. Yeah, they have to skip a generation. Uh, yeah. And again, that was something else that Bart yeah. talked about is having that um, – the coefficient you want that coefficient not to um get closer than whatever i don't remember the ratio he said but um i'm i'm thinking off the top of my head it's like 35 percent, and i could be wrong so don't quote me on that but yeah they they usually have to skip a generation to to do that so yeah and i really do wish i and i will i'll come back on the show with a little bit more knowledge hopefully in a year or so i'll be able to get over there and kind of speak to some of these guys and have a little bit better understanding but kind of currently where i'm at with the breed and everything i'm kind of like the working man with it um Mm -hmm. and the handler uh i do you know i did do quite a bit of research and i did you know understand that from my knowledge in the past about dogs what i kind of was getting and Mm -hmm. you know like you said too like that little bit of timidness that that breed does have is a little bit of a was a little bit of a hurdle mm-hmm. but once he gets locked into what the story is he's usually like you said methodical just mm-hmm. the Hanoverian hounds from what I understand basically the difference from what I have to Hanoverian is um, the Hanoverians are just a little bit bigger and the Hanoverian guys I see do a lot more uh, pig hunting with. Yep. Like they're a little bit more of like a bay dog. Yep. They there. use them for hogs and bear. Yep. Yep. And yeah. so there's no, there's no like uh, over there, there's no tree ring there. So mm-hmm. everything's on the ground. Yep. So they have bears there. They have all the deer and stuff. And all these dogs are pretty much bay dogs by, by, you know, their genetic 
um, instincts. So uh, that's that was like a little bit of a difference between getting to understand what they were doing once they found the animal and stuff. Cause I never had, you know, we don't have pigs here or nothing like that, but um, just a little bit bigger of a dog and pretty similar mentality between yeah. a barbarian and a Hanoverian. Yeah. Yeah. I would um, assume by just looking at them and looking at their dispositions that, um, and I, I really don't think yours is any smaller or bigger than, than Jekyll. I mean, I think you're, you and yours and Jekyll are, they're the same size yeah so okay all right yeah. so jeremy how did you talk just kind of walk us through real quick the um the training process i mean i'm i'm not an expert on blood tracking by no means so i want to learn a little bit you know listeners learn a little bit i mean like i said deer season's right around the corner guys so i see a lot of people um uh, picking up um i'm not saying this dog but dogs to track um, wounded game and recovery. So, how do you, how do you start the process? Is it like we do with the hounds, or is it a little different? It's a little bit different. It's definitely like you were just saying. It's definitely there's a lot of guys that are starting to do it. I'm not saying that they're doing it to like perfection, but what I'm hoping to be doing and um, deer season as across the country is a very serious business and if a guy shoots a giant buck you know they want to and they can't find it they go they want to and they're going to call somebody i want to be that guy and there's a lot of local guys and a few organizations that i'm a part of uh united blood trackers association is a big one that we have um within new york state we have the new york state deer search and uh, they're all places that you can go to to find a tracker like me. Um, basically, so you're contracted out by the state? A little bit. There's yep. like they work very closely. Um, so basically, when Bert got here, we started out with a uh, liver drag, mm-hmm. which I know some some of the it's a little bit different, but basically very short intervals nothing crazy like i did like 10 15 minutes at a time and i would uh i would put a liver on a string nope. and i'd get i tie him back and i get him real excited on it mm-hmm. and and kind of like tease him and talk you know taunt him with it and i would run so, across the lawn with it and see him Oop, no, no i was gonna say when when you're saying, because I know this dog, like I know the the, the, the style, um, you know, these are the dogs that you need to amp up because they're so laid back. Yeah. Like they yeah. are laid. I mean, you come home, they lay on the front porch, just like the old timers. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so creating a little bit of excitability is what, what you're saying. And I, that kind of grabbed my, like I said, that grabbed my attention. I'm like, oh, you know, sometimes Jekyll just lay down. You literally got to. Come on, buddy. Get up. Let's go. It's time to go to work. Yeah. Yeah. That's like ter- a stereotypical blood bloodhound, you know, that mm-hmm. just lays on the front porch. And when you're talking to the European, like at least my connections, they pretty much call them their bloodhound. They, you know, he says bloodhound. Mm-hmm. He t- says, talks to me. He doesn't say mountain hound. He says right. bloodhound. Yep. 
All so, right, so you drag a liver. Uh, yep, so get him. And, you know, he picked that up really quick. If anybody's ever, if you think about it, and if you've ever had liver or obviously you've been around, everybody's pretty much been around liver. It's actually very kind of aromatic and almost mm-hmm. like a sweet smell. It's got like this different smell compared to anything other organ wise. So it's for a puppy, I believe it's very, uh, what the right word is. But it's a strong they, odor. They go, it's a strong odor and yep. they go crazy for it. So now is this so, any type of liver or start, is this deer liver? Is this pork? Uh, is this chicken? So a, lot of, a little bit of my theory is deer liver, yes. That's what I use. Use chicken liver? I'm not, uh, deer liver. Deer liver, okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if it matters, to be completely honest, but for the start of it, deer liver. And then we switched to... He did that very easily. Like it was, he was that little tiny puppy and it was like, I could try to backtrack it. I would do whatever I could to try to mess him up. And it was just like, eh, (laughs) you're not fooling me, but he was, and he got, he was very good at it. So I ended up switching and that was very short periods of time with the liver. Mm -hmm. I switched to uh, a lot of guys within the community use uh, a hide, like a deer hide. And they, they'll drip some blood on it. I use the trailing scent by a guy named Jeremy Moore. He, and that has a little bit of um, some gland scents from deer. Mm-hmm. I use that as mine for my dog. And I had a little bit of blood and some other deer smells. So I would drag that and then I would let that sit for a lot longer as he started getting a little older and um he did very well with that as well so now if i go and do a training as an adult dog i use the shoes with a with a um with a hoof Mm -hmm. from a deer that i either killed or i got from a client and left it i basically freeze it and then i thaw it and then i'll do my track and Basically, I just let it sit there in the woods till he finds it. And I try to methodically think about where I'm walking and try to get out on a spot so I don't backtrack on my track. But similar, I very believe that it's similar to your guys. In a certain way, I like to think it's similar to kind of man trail, you know, mm-hmm. police work a little bit. You know, you guys um, going through the woods and that. Um and he did very, he's done very well. And now in the real life, so this is his second, when he was a puppy, I did some stuff for some friends. And then this season for real life, for strangers and, um, you know, at the end of the day, going out for somebody's trophy deer that they want to find no matter what, I've gone out there and we've had some really good luck. Um, I have a full-time job, unfortunately, on top of this, so I can't run hounds every single minute of my day. But uh, I found about 20 deer last season for guys. Nice. So that was very exciting. So how did you – How do you? Let's, let's back up just a minute. How do you acquisition from the liver drags to real life? 
Like, what was your transition? How did you transition from, of course, you know, I don't want to get so, into the, the, the scent and the environment and the, and the scent picture, but how did you, tra- how did you transition into, okay, we're going from this. Now we're actually tracking a real deer. So honestly, it kind of went pretty easy. Like I really just, the first I shot a deer myself and it was opening day of the season. I was um, getting the deer on trail camera. It was a buck that I was going to want to shoot. And I shot that deer. I knew, <laughs> knew right where he was coming and going. And I shot him the first morning and my dog, Bert, he was just a little tiny puppy. And I'm like, and I was doing the liver drags and I was transitioning from them to the, the hide. Mm-hmm. So what I was actually doing, I was wrapping the hide with the liver, mm-hmm. kind of dragging it. And I'm like, you know what? I think this dog, he's doing so well just on that. Let me see with a deer that I know I smoked. Mm-hmm. Let me see what he does. Mm-hmm. And um, how so old was he? He pretty much locked right in, and he he drove that track, and he found that deer pretty damn quick. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the deer was smoked. Don't don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but he he ran that right up, and I never really want to say that I really ever had to like transition. Mm-hmm. really from anything um like i wasn't i don't i never the big thing with what we do is also in my head we i never wanted him to have the excitement of live deer which right. we can like circle back to with running bear hounds right like mm-hmm. if there's that like if you just let your bear hound run deer and be like oh this is fun that's a something hard to break um so i never tried to like if a deer was in the lawn as a puppy i'd go and take him out and or if a deer was in front of his kennel or like i would nick him right not nick him with a collar but i would not let him get any sort of excitement immediately after a live deer um so he seemed very to the point as a very young puppy and he continues to be that way. And now that he's had these live deer and actual finds, it just continues to be, um, obviously we don't find every deer we go for, but a lot of success. Mm -hmm. Um, so that first, that first track that I brought him on, um, I actually sent you guys the picture for maybe the cover. He was a uh, five months old. He wasn't really full grown yet. And that picture, he was coming off of the liver. And I bring him up to another track. This is not my own. This is like a deer that actually got shot in the in the hind quarters. Come to find out. And uh, I believe it did hit femoral, but now that it really didn't bleed out like a femoral hit. So there wasn't very much blood on the ground. So my buddy calls me and I go up there and we, we ran that track pretty quick. I said, he's young. I'm not really sure, but 
you know, he was one of my best friends. Let's go see what happens. So we get up there and my buddy had it marked where the deer was standing when he got shot and they looked for blood and couldn't find any. So I go, all right. So we get up there and the dog, I let him go and he backtracked that deer for a little while. And I go, and I'm, I'm, kind of like my buddy standing next to me he goes well this is the way the deer came i'm like well all right that's fine you know the big thing is people i go to meet people and they do not have any clue about hounds whatsoever when i get there mm-hmm. so so the, the dog backtracked it up the mountain a little bit and i think he realized hey there's no none of this other like blood and I, a little bit before the podcast we talked about and i think we're going to hit that point he comes back off that backtrack and starts really locking in to that deer. And we crossed the little old logging road and I saw a blood drop and we kept going and went on a few hundred yards and sure shit, there's that deer dead. So I don't know, like for your question of like what transitioned him from real life to that artificial track, I don't know. I don't know how I could really answer that. To be honest. Well, I, I mean, really, you, you, gotta, you was able to shortcut it because of his natural instinct. So when you wrapped yeah. the the liver in the deer hide, that was your. That's how you were trying to transition the odor. Um, yeah. But you, it worked out because you was able to track your own deer, and I would think you know that's probably what I would be doing is my family members shoot deer. Don't go. Don't go after it. Let me bring my my young dog in. And let me yeah. see if I can track it for you. So. Yeah, that's kind of what that's kind of what I was looking for there. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. <clears throat> so, and and you said he was about five months old. I mean, that's pretty amazing. But I do know the quality of dogs that we get from Europe, and I'm not surprised. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, I may be disappointed at that at six months old if I wasn't getting some type of results because of the, the high quality of dogs that we import. Um. Yeah, and I had an old timer tell me he's talking about the the deer liver. Um, I had I had an old timer tell me one time I was feeding. I, I mean, I didn't have no money, and I was feeding you know the whatever dog food I could find, and you know I was killing several deer during the year, and I was feeding them scrap deer, and he's like, Heath, now if you let them dogs eat that deer, you know they're gonna run deer, and you know it kind of set me by. I'm like, oh, and then. As I got older and understood, I did not, I mean, I, that it was not the case. But for a couple of years, yeah. he had, you know, I, I believe that. And maybe maybe he believed that. Maybe he had a bad experience or something like that. But, um, yeah, so I put that to a stop. So I understand why you would try to use deer parts. Um, yeah. And I, I think that would be important um, in training, especially from, you know, the stuff that we I do in the law enforcement world and the hound, I mean, I want to, I want to use as much accurate odor and as much real odor as I can. I don't, I don't want to subside from that because then I'm going to have to do some proofing or other, other stuff to get that dog to where I need him to be. So I, I completely understand that. So, um, so you, you, you ran him last year and, Tell me, tell us a time that, you, you know, that he, you, you were, well, you and I were talking earlier about um, him sticking his nose down in. 
go through that track. Yeah. Tell us about that track and tell us, you know, how, what kind of come of that. So, um, kind of just a quick run through what happens when I get called. Um, what, wait search. a second. So there's two parallels with my, my work, my work environment and what you're doing. We're always the last ones to get called. And then yeah. the second thing is you're running him off a lead. We have to run our dogs off a lead. And, you know, that is so hard because I'm trying to read that dog's behavior. Um, and I'm assuming because I understand the breed that you have when your dog's trailing, it's head down, tail's probably level with his back, shoulder blade sticking up a little bit. That's his profile means, all right, Dad, I'm on it. Is that a, yep. is that a picture yep. that you see? A hundred percent. Yep. Yep. So those dogs so, trail with their heads a track. I don't I don't yeah. know track trail. However you guys want to say it, track or trail with their heads down. Um, you know that that is a picture. If if I'm in behind that your dog and watching him work, that's what I see with him. Yeah, and that's why too. Like in the past, I've been able to pick your me and you. I feel like I've been able to I've been able to pick your brain, and you've like indirectly. I, you know, I'm not sure if you know, but you have helped me out quite a bit. Of like, hey, a quick little tip here and there of you know your job and my job slash hobby now of finding people's animals and you're finding people that are seriously lost or in you know the bad guys so basically Bert unlike I feel like unlike a human which actually you have a really cool story I believe of a guy that was bleeding that you had a you were tracking but yep the um and I enjoy hearing that story whenever you tell it. But the when I get called in, um, usually I pick the hunter's brain a little bit. And some guys across the country may have been denied from a tracker coming out. Just from what we hear, and we're, we get pretty overwhelmed as a group of guys tracking deer. Because there is a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of wounded animals. So the time frame can be from anywhere from if it's I get calls sometimes where it's a colorblind guy that can't see blood which believe it or not I get a lot of yep I can see that (laughs) it's out where I could see like where he smokes them and he just can't see it and he has got no friends that can come help him I get old guys that really just call me just probably to uh help me drag help them drag it out of the woods but Really, the time frame that usually I'm there is from six hours to 24 hours, give or take. Um, I don't now when my my experiences eight to twelve is like kind of like the prime time to be there. Um, most of the guys listening to uh, the podcast, they know when they they've been told all these years when they gut shoot a deer, you know, go back to the house and have lunch or go sleep on it for the night because there's no point of pushing that deer through the woods and times your best friend with this, no matter what. Um, I believe honestly, a lot of guys could find more deer if they didn't push it. Um, 
and go straight chase into deer. But that's that's kind of the whole mentality of we could talk hours about strategies for yeah. deer. But but um, so my situation as a houndsman, usually I come in as the last resort and kind of like a miracle worker, unfortunately. But some dudes, some guys do understand what dog can do and what they did and but um me personally with my dog i've had a lot of success i usually start i got the dog either at the hit site if they didn't track through the woods too badly i like to start at the hit site now when you say track through the woods do you mean contaminate yeah like so like if he Mm -hmm. So if he tells me, hey, yesterday, last night, or yesterday morning, uh, I shot the deer, I knew I hit a bad shot, so I went out for lunch, and all my buddies came in, and we looked for that deer all <laughs> afternoon and couldn't find it. I go, uh, you know, that's like the nightmare, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. So I'm like, well, you're putting the ball in the other, the other court a little bit, but under my breath. But usually that's the kind of track I start at the last site that they found something because it's just a mess. You you know yeah. how it, yeah. 10 humans walking through, you know, and that's exaggerating. But, you know, a bunch of guys walking back and forth on a blood trail is just going to make my dog walk around in circles. And what people don't understand about what you're doing is, and you know, gosh, there's so many different, there's so many things that are so similar from what you're doing, what I'm doing. I mean, yes, we interview the people before we start a track. Our interview has to be very, um, I mean, it's to gather information so I can get my team and my perimeter where I need to be. And then, you know, we, we are usually behind the ball most of the time. We do have that contamination that we have to work through, which usually sets us back even further. You know, and the yep. dog's on the lead. And so, you know, for the listeners, I want to paint a picture here. You've got five buddies out walking through the woods, you know, looking for this animal. you got to think about what Jeff Shetler says. I mean, you're rolling up leaves. You're turning up rocks. You know, you, you're changing the uh, you are changing the footprint of that forest floor or that field or whatever environment you're in. Um, every step you take. Every time that you stop and you stand, like you are changing that environment every second. And then you have five people, and yes, the dog's tracking a deer. He's not tracking a human. Okay, I got that. It's two different two different scent pictures. But the dog has to work through the scent picture that you created to get to the correct scent. And that is sometimes it's so time consuming that it literally is goes against us and it goes against our success ratio because it is so messed up and the dog never could straighten, straighten that out. And I don't think people yeah. understand um, how detrimental that is to, to us as tracking humans, man tracking. And what you're telling me, I'm hearing the exact same thing as far as, you know, that track. So, all right. Keep- and, and you got to, you got to give the dog a lot of credit there. The mental capacity for him to kind of try to figure all that out and 
the human, like all that disruption in the woods is, I believe for, is quite a bit for, and that's what, for what I consider myself and the group of guys that I'm with and the deer search group. And we're, we're not like Joe Schmo that comes out with, you know, my dog found a deer one time for my buddy, you know, mm-hmm. like we're, we're not, we're a no joke. You know, we're coming out to find your deer and we're serious guys. Um, so the, that dog are, all of our dogs are very, um, it's not just like, like, I guess what I'm trying to get as we what? don't just come out of the wood, you know, and we're, yeah, you're put. You you have imported a dog, yeah. and I, I mean yeah. I don't know what it costs, but I know what it costs me to import dogs. Yeah. You talked about your guy Martin. What people don't understand yeah. is Martin ha- was from that country. You said he had dual citizenship, so he was able to yeah. get that dog across the ocean to stateside with probably without a big fee. For me, yeah. I have to pay a broker. I have to pay a, pay a broker to be at the airport to pick the dog up off the plane, to sit in quarantine for however long it takes and for me to pick the dog up. Yeah. that That's extra yeah. cost, of, of, of not counting what I paid for the puppy. I'm paying for the flight, and now I'm paying this broker. Like, that's expensive. And then you've, you've yeah. put in time and money. You've invested, like I said, you can't get time back. I don't care how much you spend. Yep. Every minute, every hour you spend with that dog, just like us, you know, we can't get that time back. That is a, that is a part of our life. That's the, that is like the most, um, the biggest investment you can make is your time. And, yep, you know, so yeah, I, I completely get what you're saying. Um, as far as, you know, it's, it's not, you know, we're not running the mill. We're trying to, to do something that we're passionate about and be very successful at it. And for us to be sex successful, it takes it takes time, training, and money. And I mean, same thing yep. with our our canine group. You know, we train. You know, a minimum of sixteen hours a month. Sometimes we get more in. You know, we spend a lot of time on our own. So I I I mean, Jeremy, I get it. And you know, kudos to you guys for for taking that upon yourselves and doing something good for the hunting community. Because you don't only yeah. just track a deer, you track bear too. Yep, we track bears as well. Um, so, I mean, we do this, our, these groups, the blood tracking and the deer search and stuff. These guys, we put a lot of time and effort in. And uh, I think I would say for the general bit of all of us, we take it very seriously and we take it to heart. We want to come out and find your deer and have high success rates who doesn't um so kind of going back a little bit to what we were originally talking about yep um the when what separates us from that kind of like yeah my dog found one one time i'll help you out um kind of guy is when the going gets tough these dogs really put their nose to the grindstone and really they have that mental uh, strength and the the push through and figure out problems, just like your police canines. Mm-hmm. So a really cool point that um, I experienced with Bert 
and it took me a little bit and as any handler when you have that new dog you learn you start to try to learn you got to learn its body language mm-hmm. and i would notice as a puppy and even now obviously he every once in a while he'll just bury his nose right into the mud or right into some leaves and for a little while i'm like what the hell is this dog doing and it was looking back at it and now that i know what he's doing it was usually in a tougher spot in the trail and deer have what's called an interdigital gland Mm -hmm. and i truly i truly believe which an interdigital gland identifies the specific deer it's like basically smelling it's between the hooves right yeah and it's between the hooves it gives it's it's an identity gland Mm -hmm. within the deer community it allows deer to know who's who and it's kind of their way of telling what i just said who's who so we now some of these tracks that started getting harder and harder and not these ones that like I smoked them and I brought bird out and he found it in two seconds with a ton of blood on the ground. Like the ones that were gut shot, they sat for 24 hours and he, that deer is like marginally hit. Um, he would dive his nose right into the dirt. And this one time he came back up and he had like a little bit of blood on his snout and it like clicked with me. I'm like, Oh crap! He's—I I thought he was just looking for mice or you know screwing off as a puppy. He's smelling. He's like really being like you were saying methodical, and he's really smelling that individual deer. I believe at that point when it gets tough, I think kind of the stages of this business that we're in. I get out there and I like he gets started on some blood then it kind of transitions to that blood starts to run out. And that's why us as hunters can't find a deer because we're just sight. So it goes from that blood and the dog is taking in that whole scent picture, but he's taking that track out. There's starting to be less scent, which that blood has a lot of scent. And now he's really, the scent cone of the deer is starting as time goes by or it's settling and everything's starting to be lower and now he's picking tracks almost and that's when it slows right down and that's when mm-hmm. I know as body language it's starting to be like this deer has got to be marginally hit or it's not like you can just almost tell where this deer's going to be hit by how slow he starts to get or how fast he's getting and um, that's been a really cool thing to see this puppy grow into doing that and understanding. You guys listen to the Houndsman XP podcast with these, and they talk about the scent thing, and it's all relevant. And it's a very cool thing um, to have one of these serious blood tracking dogs that it kind of continues my hobby of hunting and running hounds and it's just a cool it's very it's been very rewarding to have all this dog yeah i mean you i mean you're really piquing my interest because i mean i've got too many dogs i can't have another but yeah you know i, I think that's something that i could train 
and be successful at. Um, and it really, like I said, it really piques my interest um, about what you do. And it, I mean, there's so many things alike, you know, from the hound world. I mean, you're using a hound. It's a Bavarian hound, you yep. know. We're using yep. a Hanno hound. I mean, you know, it's a hound. It's all a hound type. And, you know, you're, you're doing so many things across on the law enforcement side, you know, interviewing, you know, like we said, you're trying to work through contamination and you're, you know, you're doing all these other things. So it, it's very interesting to me because it fits into both of my worlds. Um, yep. I, I hate and it's a huge, it's a huge, the, as we all know, the deer industry is ginormous in this country. Yes. And it's, it's Across, a, it's know, a it's, billion dollars. I don't know how many, I mean, I, I can't even yeah. say because I don't know, but it's, I mean, it's a huge, huge industry. Yeah. And you know, the public that I run into and they, they're like, you know, unfortunately I do believe that there is a little bit of that. Oh my God, you're, you're scaring a bear into the tree, but, or, you know, what is this dog doing with all this equipment on and blood all over his, you know, like, mm-hmm. but they hear that, hey, they get the story of, well, he's finding animals that normally we're just going to go and rot in the woods. And it almost gives like a, to the people that don't understand what we do, it gives them like this, my God, that's amazing that they can mm-hmm. do this and, and save the animals and you know it's kind of like a very cool side of this whole thing to see um the hunters themselves are usually super shocked um you know as houndsmen mostly on this podcast we somewhat you know understand what's going on through our dog's head a little bit of i hope most guys have listened to the scenting stuff and understand what the scent's doing, mm-hmm. but the average hunter doesn't understand that. And when I when I find that guy's deer, and I'm that last resort of like, oh, I'll give him a shot, and we roll up on that deer, it's like the joy in their eyes or like the the <laughs> shock is this. If that's what makes that's that's what makes it worth it and makes it exciting. <laughs> Yes, so, I can I can totally see yeah. that. And when there's a big old buck laying there too, and a guy you know spent so much time and effort in trying to at least get the shot at you know, mm-hmm. and he loses it, and we come in with the hounds and find it. It that's you know, it's a cherry on the top. <laughs> so oh, I mean, like I said, it but, it 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 interests me. It intrigues me, and um. I want to I want to tell a story real quick before we wrap this up about um, a couple months ago. Uh, I was in Tennessee, and I had went down to um, Guy Ferrari's uh, Flavor Town restaurant. I'm a big uh, diners, drive-ins, and dives fan. Um, when I'm in different areas, I try to go visit one or two, or you know whatever. When we were in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, we went to one of them there and let's see where else did we go uh oh yeah we went to two two there so anyway i had went down i know this all doesn't sound pertaining to what we're doing but it will just stand by so i was in tennessee with some work buddies we'd made the trip down to go down and eat at this new restaurant that guy had put out and i had uh 
I had to take a picture of the restaurant and guy standing there saying um, downtown Flavor Town, and I'd um, sent it on my timeline. And about thirty minutes later, I get a text message from Jeremy, and guess who's in the picture with him? Guy. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> and Jer- Jeremy, tell your side of that story. I know you know y'all are in the airport, but tell that side of the story and yeah. tell us about your your just tell us real quick about your lynx hunt down in South Africa while you were down there. So I basically with a bunch of family and friends, we uh we had a trip planned to South Africa and the majority of our hunt was plains game. If anybody gets a chance to go do it, it's amazing. The best time of your life. But the particular outfitter that I went with, I followed his, you know, kind of followed, been following his son on social media. And dogs are very important over there as well. And they got a pack of, um, um, as I was explained to, it's a foxhound blue tick mix mm-hmm. cross. And uh, so I've been out to Idaho and I've shot some lions. I've never, unfortunately, in America, have been able to do any sort of dry ground stuff. Uh, I've heard Shorty Gorham's stuff on the mm-hmm. podcast. And, I would, man, I would love to go and do it down in South, you know, Bobcat run dry ground stuff. So I got the opportunity do it in africa um the concessions there have a real serious issue with predators so we were driving through and one of the phs actually cut a track uh for a lynx they're called caracals there and uh they could tell it was a little old and there's actually there's a, um, a houndsman that's part of the pH there, the group there. And um, they knew that I was interested in that. I actually spoke to the owner and I told him, hey, if you guys get a chance that I can hang out with the houndsmen for a day, I would be over the moon. So we we ended up getting the call that night or they met us at dinner that night and said, hey, we caught a track. We're going to spend a few hours and see if we can freshen it up. And it seems like it's very similar to what we have in America, like the bobcat or the mountain lion. They don't go insanely far from if they have a kill, which I believe is what the situation was. Mm-hmm. So sure as shit, we, we uh, load up the dogs. We head out to that area. We spend quite a bit of time looking, and they let one of the dogs go. And they ended up cutting the track fresh and they kind of piled the dogs in and we ended up treeing it and you know the short of the story is i ended up getting my african lynx so, so it was very exciting was their dogs um, um did they so did they open good on the track and did they tree well with the mix of the foxhound uh, and the blue tick they did yes and i think that's what they kind of why they brought in the blue tick from what i understand you know mm-hmm. they them, them foxhounds from Europe aren't really treeing dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's kind of why we ended up with the dogs we have because we have stuff that trees. But the um, 
So they did treat very well, and they uh-huh. made, and then they kept that links right up, and there wasn't very much for trees there, mm-hmm. and but they, and that cat did jump once, and then they treated again, and they held it there that second time, and I was very impressed. Um, you know, the cat was right in their face pretty much, but they they kept it right there, um, so. As what Heath was saying, that trip was amazing. We had the time of our lives, and we're flying home. And I'm looking at I saw Heath's post with, at Flavortown, and I'm in the airport six hours ahead of him or behind him, ahead of him, I believe. So I'm I'm sitting in the airport, and I get pulled over for a for like a random check coming home. So I'm literally the last one getting on the plane. I look over behind me. Here's Guy Fieri <laughs> loading up on loading up on the plane with me. And I know he doesn't really make it super public, but he's actually uh as I was explained to him by him, I spoke to him for about a half hour. He's actually a part of the Kuyu group, the Kuyu brand mm-hmm. clothing. And uh he's actually a a pretty diehard hunter. Um, I know how our world is. I don't know if he really, unfortunately, I don't think he really promotes that too, too much, but he was there on a trip as well. And he was a really actually down to earth guy. And, uh, we just chit chatted like we were two humans, you know, like (laughs) normal people. He wasn't, you know, that guy is one of the richest chefs in the world. And, you know, he just kind of talked to me like I was, sitting at with him at the diner after a day of running hounds you know he was just regular old guy off the the street and it was cool I yeah really appreciate it i am so jealous like when i when you said yeah. that to me i'm like you got to be kidding me i'm in tennessee yeah. in his restaurant and you're in south africa on a plane with yeah. you i mean how does this happen Seven, 17 and a half hours from home and I'm <laughs> here's here's Heath at his restaurant and here I am on the tarmac standing next to him bullshitting about hunting <laughs> but that's just that's just kind of how I am I think I just get in some, some certain situations yeah. and I've look I've met some really cool people that way so well and, enjoy it because life is short yeah, yeah. and it's all about 100%. relationships yeah 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 so, so, Jeremy, I appreciate you taking the time and, and running down this blood trail. I mean, like I said, it re- it intrigues me. Um, this is something that I could do if I had time, and I may do it in the future. I don't know, but I really, really um, enjoyed the, con- you know, the stuff that's in common that we have, you know, like I said, on the hound side and the police side. I, f- I feel like it, it you're using a hound, but you're using it a lot like, the, the 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 law enforcement i mean there's a, so much so much um commonalities there so i appreciate yeah, it like I, I said, yeah. yeah i mean i appreciate I it that, like go ahead oops, sorry no. like i believe like you may not have realized but you have helped me quite a bit from that police side of things just understanding certain stuff that now i use in the field and certain mentalities on going out and finding really if you want to think about a being you know mm-hmm. so yeah i read so well the, the hardest thing you know i'm sitting here thinking real quick you know the hardest thing 
um, kind of, if, if I was trained in that aspect, it was slowing people down. Like when you, you picked up that your dog is sticking his nose in there, and that's when this track gets harder. And slowing, telling yourself, okay, he's trying to work through this, and I don't need to push him because us as humans think we know more than dogs, and we start trying to push him through um, situations or through places that they're having difficulty, and there's where your mistakes are, especially man-tracking. There's where our mistakes are made um, or blowing past turns or whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm very, I'm interested now. I mean, you've got me, you've got me, my brain turning. So, turning. Yeah, and I think a lot of the houndsmen on here was really, you know, I know we all pretty much have a kennel full of dogs, but I think a lot of guys that are serious about it and that are good houndsmen would really enjoy incorporating this into their, you know, re- repertoire, really, you know, mm-hmm. their resume. And it is very enjoyable. Chase, you know, yep. chasing a hound, no matter where you are in the world, is enjoyable. That's but right. Yeah, just being with the dogs. You, yep, and the more you can do it, the more the best, the better. That's so. right. Yep. Yep. All right, Jeremy. So we end everything with um, our little phrase here. Again, I appreciate I appreciate your time, and I appreciate your friendship. You know, I always enjoy coming up and spending, you know, two or three, four days with you guys. And, you know, just, I mean, it's so enjoyable. Um, just tree and bear or not tree and bear and just getting out. And um, like I said, the hospitality is, uh, yeah, the hospitality is um, above and beyond. So I truly appreciate it. So at the end of the session, Jeremy, thanks for helping us find a way to teach, train, or learn.